Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another edition of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website. B-L-E-A-V.com. Like, download, subscribe, rate, comment. All greatly appreciated, guys. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod and at Tino Rodriguez with an underscore. We've got a lot to talk about on today's show. As always, Matt McNamara from CBS Sports joins the show to talk about some prospects to look out for in the upcoming NFL Combine that's in a few weeks. Matt is also the host of the Sports Movie Madness podcast, so we have some fun and draft our top football movies of all time, and we also touch on some Army West Point football from last season, as Matt was a sports reporter covering the team with Spectrum News in the Hudson Valley. I'll also show some love to President Maul Jamal Adams, as President's Day passed us on Monday, and I give you guys a recap on Rutgers recruitment after National Signing Day. But... There is nowhere else to start than the disappointing outing by the New York Guardians on Saturday against the D.C. Defenders. And boy, have the mighty have fallen. The Guardians were shut out 27-0. They opened as seven-point dogs, and it was over from from the get. Uh, New York got the ball first. First drive, three and out. McGloin looked uncomfortable that drive. He would go on to be uncomfortable the entire game um, so after that DC would go on to get the ball and on that opening drive uh, the defenders went on to go 80 yards for a touchdown which proved to be enough uh, they ended up scoring 27 points but all you needed was one score McGloin would go on to get benched after completing 8 of 19 he had a 10 quarterback passer rating which is uh, not good had only 44 passing yards, two interceptions. Uh, the first one was bad. The second one, much, much worse. Uh, it was a pick six. He, again, was uncomfortable. Both interceptions, if you look at look at the film, flat-footed, uh, had pressure in his face, and he just kind of threw it up. Uh, not sure if he closed his eyes or not, but, you know, after the opening drive, it didn't really matter what McGloin did anyways because the team looked defeated and they just simply weren't getting the calls. Because no, after it was 7 nothing, the Guardians had a chance. Uh, they were driving, brought the ball past midfield, and then the running back, Dearest Victor, caught a swing route on 2nd and 10, would have been a first down, and was his knee was down. His knee was clearly down, and they ruled it a fumble. The guy stripped him. Fine. They called it. They ruled him down. But... It changed everything. They review the play, which was absolute pandemonium, and instead of reviewing the initial uh, player in Victor being down by contact, they review after the turnover and call 
uh, the defender down by contact instead. And so if you watch the game, they even had Matt McGloin confused. The offense stayed on the field. They thought he would be down by contact. And, you know, he was right, in my opinion. If you really slow it down, his knee was down. And it was very interesting to me that they've highlighted all the, uh, the, all the replay stuff. They take you up there. They show you they're doing slow motion, freeze frame, and all that stuff. But they got that one wrong. They really got that one wrong. And then added insult to injury on that same play because there were multiple things during the play that should have been reviewed. Um, After Victor fumbled and they attempted to return it and the whistle was blown and the play was dead, there were late hits by uh, a DC defender player, which then knocked out a Guardians player onto the ground for a significant amount of time and resulted in a retaliation from the Guardians themselves. A lineman then hit a DC cornerback, which knocked off his helmet, and flags were flying everywhere, ended up being offsetting penalties, um, but tons of late hits, and that was a situation where the XFL was damned if they do, damned if they don't, because I was watching that play, and it was absolute chaos, and it interested me, because you won't find that in the NFL, and if you do, players are going to be fined, suspended, ejected, and that's why the likelihood of that happening, you know, other than like an Andre Johnson fight, rarely ever happens, or Miles Garrett this year. But still, this one was a little more contained. It was kind of like a hockey scuffle, and they found that no one's going to get ejected, which I understand why they did that, because I don't think the XFL is the type of organization right now where they're going to try to sit on a throne and tell people what's right or wrong. You know, if it increases ratings, it's going to it's gonna stay, and they're not going to come down harshly on it. Yet, in a play where... They go to the review, and they're not necessarily looking at the review the right way, and then that's something they could review, and then they say play on. It just seemed very unprofessional to a certain extent. To a certain extent. I think this was another good weekend of football, but in terms of things that could get better, I think the review process and kind of getting a fine-tooth comb and really nodding out some of these rules and things you really want to emphasize um, would help the XFL because in the Guardians game that early on, uh, that first quarter early on, it was a little bit sloppy uh, from an officiating standpoint. But now officiating aside, I do think there were a lot of bright spots in the game, although most of it didn't come from the Guardians offense. Uh, the defense played well for New York. They did come up with a pick. They dropped a few. So the game, the game could have been closer. It was pretty close. It was a two-score game. It was an 18-point game uh, into the fourth quarter. It, two nine-point uh, touchdowns, you know, obviously with the three-point conversions. So it was close. They were they were within two scores, but things then got out of hand uh, in the fourth quarter. But speaking of three-point conversions, I do think the XFL and the head coaches probably listened to this podcast and heard me last week uh, disappointed that there were no three-point conversion attempts. The D.C. defenders attempted it when they got to 27 points. Uh, they scored a late garbage-time touchdown and attempted it. And attempted it with a double forward pass, which they also ran earlier in the game uh, to a T, to success. One of them was for a wide receiver screen. The other one was a jet motion and a pitchback. All pretty interesting to watch. The conversion failed, but there was one successful. uh, It was by L.A. L.A. ran a successful uh, conversion, three-point conversion, and it was the first of the history of the XFL. So hopefully there is uh, more to come from those attempts. Because I think it just adds excitement to the game, and it uh, keeps uh, keeps things loose 
especially when you think about, uh, you know, an 18-point game in this situation and it's only a two-possession game. It really uh, adds uh, a different layer to the game. So that was exciting. And shout-out to the D.C. Defender fan base because they had one of the most impressive cup snakes I have ever seen. I mean, it was the length of a section, a full section. You could check it out on our Twitter, at uh, NYFootballPod. I retweeted it. It was... Uh, Pretty sick, to say the least. There had to have been kegs and kegs of beer consumed by the fan base. And they probably could have kept going if there wasn't a cutoff by the end of the third quarter. So, shout out to the DC Defender fan base. And now, for the Guardians, they're going to look ahead to another road game, which hasn't proven well for the XFL. Road teams are 2-6 and six over the last two weeks. And if last week was any indication of the team we're going to see... Uh, in terms of what the Guardians are going to put together on the road, there is a serious cause for concern. But granted, there is only up from here after being shut out on the road, but they're going from seven-point dogs to now eight-point dogs as they travel to St. Louis, who uh, just suffered a loss as well. They lost to who, in my opinion, are the most loaded offense in the XFL in the Houston Roughnecks, and they were slightly edged out. They did cover the spread, and were responsible for the only overhitting of both the spread and the over with backdoor covers late in the game on a wide receiver screen. But now New York is an eight-point dog against an explosive offense. So they just went on the road and scored zero points. And here are the Battle Hawks who are keeping up with some of the best teams in football. I mean, they upset the Renegades in week one and then held their own. 28-24 was the result against the Roughnecks. And uh, their quarterback, Jordan Tayamu, was a beast. 316 total yards of offense, 81% completion percentage, four total touchdowns. He ran the read option. Their run game is really successful. And uh, if there was one thing that did look vulnerable for New York this week was their run defense. So that'll have to significantly approve uh, if they want to stand any chance against the Battle Hawks. So to open, my slight lean is going to be for the Battle Hawks, unfortunately. Um, eight points is a lot, but I thought seven points was a lot and in what should have been a competitive game last week, and it wasn't. And with the way these road teams are trending, uh, it's hard to have a lot of confidence in the Guardians going into the weekend. Speaking of the weekend, uh, this past weekend marked President's Day on Monday. Uh, so happy President's Day to everyone out there who were able to enjoy their Sunday fun days as well as having work off on Monday. If you were stuck working on Monday, sorry for you. Uh, I also had to work on Monday, so uh, I feel your pain. Nonetheless, I'm going to give a shout-out, uh, just as the Jets did on their Twitter account all weekend long, to uh, Jamal Adams. Um, of course, all you Jet fans out there know him at on Twitter, at President Mall. And I'm going to start with the video that really hit home for me. Uh, the Jets posted... Jamal Adams' first and only ever fumble recovery touchdown, which um, all you Giants fans will remember as a manhandling of Daniel Jones. Uh, It wasn't even a fumble. He just straight took the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands to begin the second half in a one-point game for our sibling rivalry and uh, just ran it back 20 yards to the end zone. And it was impressive, to say the least. Very Von Miller-esque, but... He he's an all pro and that play was really um, a microcosm of what he can do because he showed his strength, power, playmaking abilities and speed all in one play. And 
I just figure I take the time here to just run through some of his statistics, which are just impressive in his first all pro season. Adams, who, by the way, is still without a contract update from the Jets. They're going to work on that. Uh, I've been on this show already stating that the Jets need to sign him. They need to stop dilly-dallying around. The guy's worth the money, but no update there yet. And this is one of the reasons why I do believe he's worth the money. So he had the fumble return touchdown against the Giants. He also had his first ever pick six this season, made his second Pro Bowl team. He had two forced fumbles, six and a half sacks, had the most tackles for loss on his team at 14, and led all safeties in that category in the NFL, as well as added seven pass defenses. So those statistics are telling in the fact that he's probably their best tackler in open space, especially at the line of scrimmage with those tackles for loss number. I mean, he's the best safety in the league um, behind the line of scrimmage. That's what that number tells you. And he even added 75 tackles, which ranked third on the team. He he can do it all. He can do it all, and he's he's well-deserving of that contract extension that he's seeking. Uh, in terms of the money, I do think he should be the highest-paid safety. I understand that guarantee money and all this stuff works in, which is why this is going to take a while. But at the same time, this is your franchise player. I know you got Sam Darnold at the quarterback position, and you signed Le'Veon Bell, but from the defensive side of the ball, he's your guy. And I don't think... You want to see a generational talent like Jamal Adams, who can do it all from the safety position, just walk away um, after his terms are done because you'd rather save the money, keep him on his rookie deal, and not pay arguably your best player on the team, especially because he was your only pro bowler and all pro on the team. So uh, happy President's Day, President Maul. Uh, Hope the Jets pay you. If not, you'll still be a fan of mine. And on that note, I'm going to get you guys ready for my interview with Matt McNamara from CBS Sports. Matt and I used to work together in the Hudson Valley uh, with Spectrum News. We covered Army West Point, uh, some Marist athletics for you guys in the New York area that know about the Red Foxes. Shout out Marist as well. Uh, We talk some Giants, we talk some Army, and we wrap it all up with our top five football movies of all time. Really good interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here he is. Matt McNamara. All right, now we have on my good friend, Matt McNamara. Matt, for the people who don't know out there, we used to be co-workers at the Hudson Valley covering Army sports together. And I threw some love to the Marist Red Foxes where, of course, you're an alumni from, right? Yeah, I am a Marist proud Red Fox alum. Yeah, so you were there last season. I unfortunately wasn't able to be there uh, and see it firsthand, but our Black Knights unfortunately had a down year. So they moved from 11 and 2 the year prior and 10 and 3 the year before that, went down to 5 and 8 last season. Uh, a lot of the team was the same from the years prior. Um, that strong senior core with like Kelvin Hopkins Jr., Cole Christensen, and so on. And yet they still weren't able to get the job done. Obviously, the main name there that suffered with some injuries was Kelvin Hopkins Jr. Do you think the struggles this season was as simple as he was he was hurt, and then once your quarterback goes down, it's hard to recover? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the injuries were a huge concern for the for the whole team on both sides of the ball. I mean, certainly when you have that leader like Kelvin Hopkins Jr., who had done so well in his first season starting for them in his junior year, you'd hope for that same consistency, and unfortunately. They had some, you know, great backup 
quarterbacks uh, who were definitely the future of this team and Jabari Laws and Christian Anderson, but even Jabari himself, again, another guy who would come in and get injured pretty quickly. Just, you know, he's one of the smaller quarterbacks that I've seen, you know, under six foot, under 200 pounds, only a sophomore. So when you have that inconsistency at the quarterback position, even though Army is very much run-based, it, it goes through the quarterback, you know, who's really leading the charge. And when you have that leader both on and off the field in Kelvin Hopkins Jr., in and out of the lineup, you're not sure if he's going into the lineup. There were certain games where he was healthy, quote-unquote, but wouldn't end up getting the start. And, and so you have to sort of go back and forth again between – Laws and Anderson, it was just sort of this problem because, you know, the Army run game was off this year. And, you know, part of that you can say was due to the strong graduating seniors that left, like Darnell Wolfolk and, and Holtz and guys like Andy Davidson, and they weren't really able to fill that void with Connor Slomka and Sandy McCoy, who were their main fullbacks. They weren't getting as many good gains. And, also, when you consider the offensive line, you know, not being able to protect them, that was a huge part of those injuries or keeping them healthy was the fact that whenever they tried to step back and pass, which they did more of this year, or at least they tried to do more of this year, guys like Hopkins and Laws had very little time in the pocket to escape. And, you know, that, that definitely, I think, hurt them in the long run. Yeah, and I noticed that. And they were playing from behind a lot, so they had to pass a little bit more. And, and that's the thing with Army's offense. It's built to play with a lead their defense is built to play with a lead i was going to note that i i think the quarterback position uh i noticed that was really the outlier in this team this season in that navy game in a rivalry that big i the experience matters and i think in that game in particular you saw that they were lacking the uh the experience at the quarterback position but my question for you then is do you think anderson and laws really are uh in a position to take over for hopkins next season do you think it'll be a seamless transition I don't think it'll be seamless per se I mean you know Anderson going in as a senior and Jabari Laws going in as a junior there's going to be that quarterback competition you know going through spring practice going through those first couple of weeks before the season starts so it's I don't think that coach Munkin is going to have a like solid quarterback named and that wasn't the case last year either. You know, he, he, I think at the beginning before. of the season, you say like, oh, you know, there's, there's no single quarterback. But we all knew it was Calvin Hopkins. But once those injuries started to pile up, it was really a question of, well, who is going to start this week? You know, you would assume it's going to be Hopkins. But, you know, based on the injuries he had, it, there, it was always a crapshoot. So I think, you know, this year, it really does depend. I think law is, is the better option but the problem of course being most of the games laws played and he suffered some injuries up high he suffered some injuries you know in the abdomen area and the shoulder area he was getting tossed around you think about that air force game where they were that close to winning it was because laws led them down the field so quickly but then he gets taken out and they don't quite know what to do and that that was a heartbreaker within like five yards yeah Oh, absolutely. Because then they bring in Hopkins at the end there. And, you know, watching that game, a part of me, and maybe it was the homer in me, I was like, I think he can get this done. But you bring in a guy who doesn't naturally throw the ball and you're going to give him four plays to get the ball in the end zone solely off passing. And he's been on the bench for four quarters and he's battling an injury. I mean, realistically, you knew it wasn't going to happen. But 
there was that part of you that was like, I, we, it could, it could happen. I thought it was going to happen. And yeah, that, that hurt because you knew the commander in chief's trophy was uh, hanging in the balance of that game. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing happened in Navy, essentially. I mean, it was obviously a lot different score, but you had Anderson in for most of the game. And once that offense stalled, they tried to bring in Calvin Hopkins and, you know, to finish off his final drive at the army gets picked off. I mean, it's as unfortunate as it gets for someone who really did make a difference for army, but you know, yeah, it's, I think Anderson's a very solid quarterback and, you know, we saw early on in the season that he can throw it. He can lead the run game. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say definitively which quarterback is starting, but in terms of who I think will probably get more action just based on health and based on uh, leadership, I, th- I think Anderson could be the uh, dark horse pick in terms of Army Army's quarterback next year, especially since Laws will have an extra year after that. Maybe learn or maybe you know rest up, and we'll see how he how he goes in health wise. Maybe bulk up a little bit. So, or, I mean, obviously he can't really get taller, but <laughs> if he can maybe add a little bit of muscle, or you know he he might not face as many injury concerns. And maybe just the way he runs the ball, maybe he'll do better be better off i think that laws is more of that kel walker backup uh fighting for the starting quarterback position to where uh anderson might have the uh, kelvin hopkins although anderson's taller than hopkins it's just uh he has the more prototypical fit i guess for the offense if you look at it that way and uh where laws is going to have to kind of bust his butt a little bit more um not saying he can't do it it's just you know when you just don't have the logistics for the position it just makes the you know makes it a little bit harder but now speaking of logistics uh, neither of us are combine experts by any means, but we are big time Giants fans and we're on the clock. Uh, well, I guess we're on the clock as of like a, in a week or so because the combine is around the corner and there is a, a lot to pay attention to, Matt. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone in particular you're uh, looking to snag at the number four pick, but if you do, please speak up now because I have mine in mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, there isn't like really a definitive pick or position, you know, in terms of the Giants this year. You know, obviously last year, main concern for quarterback was you – know, the main concern was quarterback. And we, you had at least two pretty definitive options between Haskins and Jones. I mean, ideally, somehow the three GMs before us pass on Chase Young and he falls right into our lap. I mean, that's the ideal thing. But – knowing how high Chase Young's draft stock is, I don't think that's the case. So, I mean, there's, there really are, you know, obviously we've heard a lot about Isaiah Simmons and I think that's definitely a, a, a very, you know, sexy option, I guess is the right word to describe, you know, coming from Clemson, you know, linebacker, that leadership position that, you know, the, the Giants I think are trying to build upon with other guys like Marcus Golden and Alec Ogletree. But at the same time, you know, we, we've talked about it the past couple of years. It's the most help we need right now is in that offensive line. And another very intriguing option, I think, for us is Jedrick Willis, who is currently, you know, slated towards the Giants at that number four pick in the CBS mock draft uh, from Ryan Wilson. You know, he's a solid right tackle, and that's where the Giants need the most help at right now is tackle between what we saw last year from Remmers and Solder. It's definitely the weaker position of the offensive line that we need help with. And Willis, you know, comes from Alabama. You have Joe Judge, who comes from that Saban system. He's, you know, he's a big guy, you know, he's pretty agile. He's someone that could really help us, help us out there. 
especially at the right tackle position where we need Saquon Barkley to run to the outside, where, which he does a lot of. I think, you know, either of those two options (laughs) would probably be the best one for us. No, I mean, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, right tackle is a gigantic hole. Now, I think the only thing that hurts us is just the position we're in. So ideally, I think if we were to get a tackle, there's more depth and it would make more sense if we had traded back, you know, in a way that someone has to come up, get a quarterback, whether it be two or Herbert. But with that same notion, uh, if a team doesn't trade back and those teams in front of us, because here's the thing. The the Redskins aren't going to get a quarterback, fine. And everyone's, you know, just writing down that they're going to get Chase Young because they have Ron Rivera, a defensive guy. But the Redskins are in the same boat as us in where they can really get anything. I think we're two teams uh, in the same division with a, a lot of the same identity where everything is a whole. I mean, with the Giants, the reason Isaiah Simmons, in my opinion, is the best fit is because the guy plays three positions on defense and we need a corner. Let me just read this stat off for you. We had one player other than Janoris Jenkins with two interceptions, and that was our rookie linebacker, Ryan Connolly, who didn't even play most of the season. <laughs> so they need corners. They need linebackers. We need safeties. Um, Jabril will come back healthy, but even then, he's a strong safety. So I guess him and Simmons play a similar position, which would uh, you know, fluff that position up a little bit, but just move him to linebacker because Ogletree was lacking big time last season in my opinion. Uh, he looked old. I mean, we had Bethea back there playing safety at times. It was, I watched a highlight from the Jets game and Jameson Crowder broke both of them uh, on the same, like just inside Duke. I mean, it was a nice move, but they were like 15 yards apart and he just broke them at the same time. And it just, they looked old and brittle. So we need to get younger at those positions. So I think Isaiah Simmons is our best bet. But if we're looking at linemen, I think in the com- uh, on the combine in particular, the biggest guy to keep an eye on is uh, Makai Becton, the one from Louisville, based on his just size. He's 6'7", 370. And if you put on the tape, he's just a man amongst boys. He is mauling people. But now his combine concern, which always happens every year, is his weight and his speed. So if there's a guy amongst the linemen who you're going to want to keep a close eye on, is someone who should on paper look like the best and biggest lineman in the draft. You just have to see if it translates, you know, to a football capacity. For sure. I mean, Becton was someone that was also on my radar too, but I, I, I've heard, you know, at least before, you know, before combine, you know, those initial reports that he moves very quickly for his size, which is that size, six, seven, three sixty. That's something where if he really is what he he's hyped up to be that could be a huge boost to the team because you know there are other guys where you're just looking at their size and then you're like wow they'll definitely work at offensive linemen and then they come in and you realize oh no they can't do anything else right they don't have any of the other fundamentals down I mean what the Giants do need not only in terms of in the offensive line is not only someone who can move and you know really help out is it's someone who can kind of not be afraid to switch positions. And that's why another person I saw that uh, comes on the radar is Andrew Thomas, uh, offensive lineman out of Georgia, because what I've heard from him is that during his time at Georgia, he excelled at both left and right tackle. Mm -hmm. And with the Giants injury concerns at the line and constant position changing, we need someone who can be, you know, that versatile in that position where if we need them to switch positions or need them to switch sides, they can do it. And so there are, those are the three guys in terms of linemen that I've seen 
you said before, Tom, Thomas Becton and Willis, where if we all, if we feel the need to get that early on, those are the three guys I would go with. Nice. I think there's one guy left. And uh, as of today, I saw Mel Kuyper's 2.0 mock draft. Um, I'm just interested to see where you stand on Jeff Okuda. He's a, a corner for Ohio state. Now, People are trying to slot him in, Mel Kiper in particular, are trying to say he's the Marshawn Lattimore, uh, yada, yada, yada. He can do it all. I put on the tape, he's a physical corner. He had 35 tackles, nine pass defenses, three in toast, two force fumbles. So he fills the stat sheet up nicely. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. I have this like PTSD about him with like the, it, the Eli Apples of the world are the reason <laughs> I cannot trust an Ohio State corner. So I just think it's a little too high to reach on a guy that I'm just, I'm unsure with. I'm unsure on uh, Okuda right now. Definitely less than Mel Kuyper. No, I understand where you're coming from. And going back to what you were talking about before with, you know, the current, you know, backfield that we have. I mean, I think part of the problems last year with the Giants weren't in just the talent. I think a lot of it was, part of it was coaching. And a, part, a lot of it was the chemistry of the team overall. You had certain guys who were playing their first year. You had certain guys like, you know, Jenkins who had the one foot in, one foot out, where there wasn't a whole lot of chemistry back there. And you could see on a lot of those plays, it was just a lot of those were broken plays where there wasn't the right communication. And, you know, one guy would be covering and then hope that another guy behind him would fill in for, yeah. for him. And then they get burnt. So I think, you know, with the coaching changes that the Giants have made and hopefully, you know, that chemistry building up over time with some of the newer players and some of the veterans coming together, I don't, I don't necessarily think we need someone in that position, at least not a first-year player, because we saw how long it, it took Brown a little while to adjust, and he was a late first-round pick. So I don't want, I, again, I, you know, as you said before, the uh, Eli Apple type, I don't, I don't think the Giants need to take that risk in that position. I think they can go for someone older, perhaps, you know, another veteran who still has something to offer. Something yeah. to prove, I mean, if I they think. were to take a risk, I'd rather now I need to caution this when saying this, because I don't know what Dave Gettleman's capable of in terms of trading away draft picks being that he gave away a third and a fifth for Leonard Williams. But with Darius Slay on the market, uh, you talk about a guy with consistency. He's had two picks in every season over the last six and he's played 13 games, at least 13 games, if not all of them, in every season of, of his career, which this team desperately needs. Now, he's 29 years old. I get that. But you add on the veteran leadership, especially in the D-back room, which you lost when you traded away Jenkins, and you're not going to re-sign Bethea and all these guys. So uh, I would rather take my chance. Uh, again, I caution by saying, don't trade everything we have for Darius Slay. But at the same time, I think, if you package the right thing together, uh, you would get more value out of that than trying to get Jeff Okuda at number four overall. Oh, that's, that's definitely fair. I mean, it's, it's that the fourth pick, you know, it's, it's obviously higher than what we had last year. So there's even more risk in terms of what that payoff or, you know, on the opposite end could do to the franchise as a whole. You want to make sure you're making, you're, you're bringing in a game changing type of talent mm-hmm. to really make that difference. And so, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's nothing we can really make a judgment on until, you know, the combine goes through, but, you know, someone else, you know, if they're still available, you know, if we, if we, if you feel like we need help on the defensive line, some guy I saw who's 
high up there right now is Derek Brown. Derek Brown, he's a defensive guy. lineman of Derek Auburn. Brown, my guy. Top the D lineman in his class. He's big and agile, can get to the quarterback and also disrupt the pass. And as of now, you know, the Giants, you know, with their D line in that front four, you know, you have guys like Leonard Williams. You know, we have so Lawrence. many D tackles. That's the only thing. I know. I want to make a case for so many D tackles. And they're honestly, the is, those are our best players. Like on yeah. defense, the, the, our, we have no edge rushers, but our interior of the yeah. line, we have so many guys that That's play true. well enough. We're just looking for them to take the next, the next step. I, I want to make the case for Derek Brown. And I think we can if Leonard Williams was going to be able to move to the outside. But the issue with him is that the Jets showed he's not, he's not a 4-3 edge rusher. He's not going to be that guy. He's more of an interior guy who's going to give pressure to the quarterback's face. Right? But Derek Brown is, is a beast. I know. It would be, be great to have him just because of – especially what he was able to do in those big game situations like in mm-hmm. the Iron Bowl and how he stepped up. But, I mean, if we're talking edge rushers – and obviously, you know, Chase Young is a fever dream, but the second highest rated as of now is Kaylevon uh, Chason uh, out of LSU, who I think, would, I think could be a good consolation for Chase Young. He's explosive off the edge. The one thing that people are talking about right now is for him to, you know, gain some weight, so maybe he needs to shift around positions. But, you know, coming, the LSU defense, you know, towards the end of the season, I know early on in the season, they were, they, they were overlooked because of, you know, just how well the offense was doing. But they made a big difference in the playoffs, and Chase On was certainly part of that. So, I mean, if, we, if the Giants want an edge rusher or need one, I, that's certainly someone who they could look into because right as of now, he's at least being looked at as a top 10 pick overall and obviously probably the best edge rusher outside of Chase Young. I, 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 get, what you're, I get what you're saying with the LSU defense because I think LSU's uh, weakness uh, defensively was more of, the secondary. I don't think it was more of an issue of the front line because they would get pressure, but they were just getting burnt and just turned into these like marathon races of who can score <laughs> the most points in those games. But when you have Joe Burrow, uh, you know, I don't really blame them. So Matt, by the way, why don't you get the people caught up here on the podcast you host? It's called the Sports Movie Madness Podcast, and tell them where they could check it out. Sure. Uh, yeah, Sports Movie Madness. Uh kind of speaks for itself you know me and my uh good good pals uh casey bryant rob deluca and myself uh dive into the best and the worst worst of sports movies if you're looking for uh there's other podcasts where you know they'll just do like all the classics back to back to back and like well, you know, it's a little boring after a while um so we go into a wide range of uh what we consider sports movies or what most people consider sports movies just doing, you know, basic reviews, breaking them down, giving our thoughts, our opinions, our scores, recommendations. Uh, so you can find us on uh, Spotify. You can find us on uh, Anchor um, under Sports Movie Madness. Uh, we ha- uh, you can tweet at us, uh, hashtag Sports Movie Madness, at myself, uh, at Matt McNamara25. Um, if you have a recommendation for a movie uh, you reviewed, we're still pretty new into uh, our uh, process. So we've, we've gotten through some of the classics, you know. Uh, we've also gone through some of the worst of the worst sports movies or just movies, period. Uh, so it's, it's a lot. We have a lot of fun, especially with some of those just absolute trash movies that some you've definitely seen or heard of and some you are probably not heard of, like which is probably fairy. for the better. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, tooth, the Tooth Fairy. We have, we, we, we reviewed The Tooth Fairy. We've done the best of the best, like Miracle. We've also done the worst of the worst, like Tooth Fairy and Ed. Uh, and then we've done, you know, some of those middling ones or some of the like cult classics. We've done like basketball, um, 
some other ones that maybe you might have considered a classic now or in your childhood that we sort of, or that we considered classics in our childhood that we've revisited. And since we're coming at it from a critical perspective and not like, you know, a childish or fan perspective, you know, or we can definitely say our opinions have changed. So, you know, we talk about sports, you know, we'll go off on our little tangents, but they're always fun rides uh, to go on. So it's just three guys who love sports and love movies talking about our favorite sports movies. So now I'm not a part of the, uh, a part of that click, but now I want to join it and I want to go on a ride with you right now. I'm not sure if you guys have done this on the podcast, but we're going to try to do it here. We're going to, we walk through the rules uh, prior. We're going to do snake draft with this. There's only two of us. So it it shouldn't be too difficult to follow (laughs) the first pick. And we're going to go through the top five, um, football movies for us uh, in terms of a draft. So now there can't be any duplicates, repeats, and this is not uh, necessarily in a specific order. It's based on our draft. So you're going to get the first, I'll get the next two, you get the next two, and so on. I just got to make sure I write this stuff down. So (laughs) So, Yeah, no no pressure. There's there's a lot lot riding on. So you're on the clock. You just let me know uh, when you just shoot away. You can give us a reason. You can uh, talk about it a little bit if you'd like. Uh, But yeah, you're on the clock. All right. Well, I, since I'm first, I feel very confident uh, with my first pick. It's already locked in. I know it'll get tougher as we go along. But, I mean, I feel like my, my friends on the podcast and everyone else, football fans alike, would probably shoot me if I didn't choose this as number one. But it's actually, it is actually my number one, and that's Remember the Titans. There it is. Yep. I mean, it's, when, when we talk about classics – there are certain elements that go along with it. And remember the Titans hits every note in terms of what makes us not only what makes a great sports movie, what just makes a great family movie, what makes, you know, a great, you know, team aspect movie. Remember the Titans, it's from the cast to the story, to the music, to the moments. It's, it's just such a fun ride. Every time fire and rain plays, uh, right before oh. the car accident. I, it just oh gets you. God. It gets you in your feet. I was, I was, yeah, I was watching it again recently. Um, and that, just that, that uh, hospital scene. And, you know, when he says, you're, you're my Superman. Like, if you're not, like, if their <laughs> tears aren't streaming down your face, like, you're not a true human being. I mean, like, you're just talking. Obviously, you talk about the adults in the movie. You talk about the teens in the movie. I, I sat, when I sat down and watched this recently, my dad kind of just was, saw me watching it. He hadn't seen it in a while. He's not a big sports guy himself, but like, I just remember I was like hearing him and watching him watch it and like the mo- he loved it. And for a movie like that to not only hit, you know, the sports fans, but to hit people who aren't into sports and really connect with them, like that's a powerful thing. And that's, there are only so many sports movies that do that well. And remember the Titans, it's just, it's one of those movies you can just turn on, you can watch it all the way through, you can pick it up like with 30 minutes left to go and just still be hooked because they're based know, again, on a true story. So many moments. Like. Based on a true story, of course, you know, you know, all, all recent, that stuff. So I, recently, I think you know, remember the tie-in is the consensus. I, I agree with that. It would have been my first, just because it's also the football movie I've watched the most in my life, but it's okay because I anticipated you taking remember the tie-ins and I'm smart. Prepared. You're, I'm smart. You're, a smart man. You're a smart man. So now this is in no particular order, but I will lean out uh, with my non true football movie first. Um, and pay homage to my man, Adam Sandler. Waterboy is going to be my uh, one, one. And uh, just based on being able to watch it 
over and over again and quote so many lines. I mean, and I remember even playing football, just water sucks. It really, really sucks. And it's just like, just lines like that, that I, you can just say in any capacity, like, uh, you know, Captain Sano shows no mercy. And he just like jabs him in the eye with his fingers. It's just, uh, I just endless, endless, you know, uh, my, the, the alligator scene or, or the crocodile scene. When he tells um, uh, Mama says alligators are so angry because they got all them teeth, but no toothbrush. I just those are <laughs> this is once in a lifetime lines. You don't you, you don't find that anywhere else. So uh, shout out my man Adam Sandler. I'm gonna go Waterboy one, and now I'm gonna do a two for here because it is a movie and also a TV show. It happens to be one of my favorite TV shows ever. Uh, Friday Night Lights, true story. Um, if you want to win, put booby in. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. You got Billy Bob Thornton in there. Uh, just so good. So good. Uh, from start to finish. Again, the true story factor uh, plays in. I think the TV show is even better than the movie, to be honest, uh, just because of the longevity of it and the actors that were in it. Um, but just focus, focusing on the movie, just legendary. Legendary stuff. Uh, you got the alcoholic dad coming at his coming at his son. You got the whole Texas football thing. I think when I think football, Friday Night Lights, self-explanatory. I mean, it is high school football. Sums it up in a nutshell. So I'm going to go one water boy, two Friday Night Lights. Very different picks for sure. I mean, well, obviously water boy, you know, is a, is a comedy classic. It was during that early part of Adam Sandler's career where he was really like, he really hit his stride. and. You know, Adam Sandler, you know, been in multiple sports movies, obviously multiple great sports movies, but you know, The Water Boy is just one of those ones where it just you just laugh. You know, it's just it's just it's a good laugh. It's got funny characters, you know, they understand the type of movie they're trying to make there. Uh and then Friday, yeah, Friday Night Lights is towards the top of my list too, the movie version. Like it's it's one of the better grounded sports movies. You know, a lot of sports movies either go like comical, wacky, or they go like they go fantastical with uh their elements but you know friday night lights is just you know really hits you hard you know peter berg does a great job directing mm -hmm. the film and, and understanding like the football culture and you know yeah, you talk about those those storylines the booby miles the heartbreak how much they really they really show you how much they put into yeah. this game and how much it means to them how much and it means when to it's taken and when it's and when it's taken away how hard that can hit you emotionally. Yeah. So those are both great picks for sure. I also forgot that uh, you can do it. And just the name <laughs> Bourbon Bowl is something I've always wanted to participate in yeah. throughout my life. If I could even sponsor the Bourbon Bowl, <laughs> I would do it just because. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the most ridiculous bowl names for sure. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. All okay. right. So, so my, my turn, right? All right. Yeah, I you're got, up. Right. You, got, you get two, right, picks cool. you get two, two picks here. You get two picks here. I am again very feel very good about these next two picks. Uh, first one I, again, another movie where if we did not mention this by now, I again I, I think I would be shot, and that's Rudy. Uh, Rudy. Oh, so you're gonna see? I haven't seen Rudy enough to uh, say it with confidence. I know the story of Rudy. I've seen it a handful of times, but mm -hmm. I I appreciate the respect on uh, throwing Rudy in the top two. There. I see. I'm one of those people that like. I mean, I, I like rewatching movies, but I, there are certain movies where I, I can see them once and like really get like okay yeah yeah i can understand i understand it i mean rudy, um, and just rudy the again this is i was talking about before about friday night lights this this falls more in the fantastical category of sports movies it knows what it's trying to be you know it, it's this this great 
underdog story. It's just great, you know, from bottom, you know, from the bottom now, now to the top type of tale of endurance and so great, great performances all around, memorable characters, you know, memorable, the way it's shot, the way, you know, the, the music, the score, this one of the better sports film scores that really amps up that sort of, it's, you know, embracing that underdog story. And the ending the always one makes me smile too, Matt. I mean, the ending of it, just okay. watching him line up on the outside and just, it's just so good. It's just so funny. I mean, some people would say cry. I mean, maybe cry and smile. You know, maybe it's, it's from like a football joy. perspective, he's just like he's playing for Notre Dame, and yeah. he's just you know he's Rudy. So it's just uh, it, it always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, yeah. tears of joy is a good way to put it, but yeah. it puts a smile on my face. Yeah, it's a great Sean Aston performance. There are other great performances uh, surrounding him. Just the way that it's written and you really you're really invested in the characters and you're really invested in Rudy's story and. It's a lot of what he does, and this is why I appreciate a lot in movies, is a lot of his character is more show than tell. It's what he what he does through his actions mm. that say the most about his character versus like what people say about him. I mean, because obviously there are a lot of a lot of the characters are talking about how much Rudy means to them, but a lot a, a lot of what he does is showing that. And the second movie I have on this list is Brian's Song. Wow. Brian's Song is Wow. A little bit older, a little bit older on the list, but I mean, you talk about you talk about a movie that like just we talked with Rudy, Tears of Joy, like Ryan's song you're is going, just straight tears. Straight I see tears. the route you're going here. You're going legitimate. You're doing uh, you know, a heartfelt. You're going heartfelt movies. There are there was a few ways to go about this. Uh, there are a lot of funny ones. You still have two more picks, but uh-huh. you're, you're going out strong here. You know, you got Brian Piccolo involved, Rudy. Yeah. Uh, I, Coach Boone. I mean, these are three. These are three yeah. big, big football. Heads. I mean, I mean, I like a movie that gets me emotionally invested. But uh, you know, Brian's song. It's. I mean, there's a, a lot to say about you know the movie, especially you know for what it was. You know, it was a TV movie. It's a short movie mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the other movies on our list. But what it's able to do, you know, just the relation, the, the real life relationship between Piccolo and and uh, Gail Sayers is just so well done you know billy d williams and james conn both terrific actors even before their time amazing in that movie yeah before their time and like the way the relationship builds but then like how you're just it crushes you at the end because you know you want you want them you want them to you know stay true and you want them to stay close forever and then obviously you know other other things get in the way and it's just such an emotional tale and like it's again people talk about it as the movie that like even the most manly of manly of man men can cry and it, it broke it broke me it's no. like it's that well done and it, it really does tear on the emotional heartstrings now uh this movie that i'm gonna pick for my third pick uh is not one that uh tears on your heartstrings a little bit but it's one of my favorite because it has a wild card as the head coach and honestly the whole cast is just full of uh wild cards when i first saw this I uh, I was just like, how are they all in this at once? Uh, any given Sunday, any Ooh, given Sunday okay. is one of my uh, one of my favorites. Al Pacino leads the way. You got Dennis Quaig as the uh, as the starting quarterback. He gets hurt. In comes Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox throws up in a huddle. Uh, the team is full of. Let's see. You got Lawrence Taylor. You have Jim Brown in the movie, I'm pretty sure. I mean, just loaded. I, I think James Woods is the uh, athletic trainer. I, <laughs> it is 
crazy. And uh, a majority of the movie is just about them partying. And it's really just about, uh, you know, Jamie Foxx trying to hone in on uh, being the starting quarterback. He has this weird thing where he throws up in the huddle most of the movie. So the, the storyline itself isn't great, but based on a uh, football cast of characters, any movie with Lawrence Taylor in it, and he's, he plays Lawrence Taylor in the movie. I mean, he might change his name. He's, he's, he's the same way he would be in real life in that movie. So uh, any movie with Lawrence Taylor is a movie for me. So I'm going to go any given Sunday. Uh, shout mm-hmm. out Al Pacino. And then um, you haven't, li- I don't know if you've listened to this show or not, but I pay homage to one of my favorite football movies, uh, Jerry Maguire. I think Jerry Maguire, although people get it confused with a love story, just Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. in that their give and take is just seamless the entire way through. I think Cuba Gooding Jr. plays a, a great diva receiver. And, uh, you know, they also show like, you know, how it is to be a player especially a, a star receiver towards the tail end of your career uh, when teams are trying to get you out of the door and you're playing for a contract. And sometimes you have to gamble on yourself. Uh, but show me the money is what we play on the show all the time. It's my gambling segment. Uh, that scene in itself is just absolutely amazing. So it just, I, I can't say enough about it. Just, uh, just screaming, uh, Jerry, not show you, show me. And it's just like, he's screaming and, while he's doing this, he's losing every other client on his uh, caller ID so uh, <laughs> or call waiting. So he ends up just with Cuba Gooding Jr. in that. Um, but nonetheless, uh, just a great movie. And uh, that one is less quotable, but more of a, a good watch. Plus, uh, for any of you guys looking for a romantic rom-com out there, uh, you know, you got uh, Renee Zellweger in that, I believe. Uh, yeah, Renee Zellweger, yeah. Yep. And, you complete uh, me. She, yeah, she's pretty good. And, uh, you know, you can watch it and it's a football movie and you could also bring your uh, significant other along. So I'm going to go any given Sunday, Jerry Maguire. I'll have one pick left. Matt, you got your last two. Yeah, I mean, just going back to the to the choices, you, you really picked some uh, heavy hitters there in both those movies. I mean, you know, just with the cast and you know, like Oliver Stone directing any given Sunday and Cameron Crowe directing um jerry Maguire, two people you would never associate with sports movies but yeah, they definitely. i mean obviously they're they're more about sports but i mean you talk about iconic moments you know the al pacino's famous speech yes. you talk about you know the you complete me the show me the money i mean like those are those are definitely tough to top uh for sure so very solid choices there and my last two picks um my first pick is uh, you know a pretty well-known movie. You've got some Oscars, you know. Uh, and that's the Blind Side. The Blind Side. Uh, yep, the t- there it is. True story. Michael Orr, uh, Sandra Bullock winning uh, Best Actress. I mean, this is just another one of those movies, you know, that uh, really knows what type of movie it's trying to make. You know, it's a movie about family. It's a movie about trying to give people second chances. And I mean, it's great performances all around. You know, very well written. Sandra Bullock again. You know, wins the Oscar. Some other great performances, you know, by Tim McGraw coming in, yes. you know, this country singer playing her husband. He is very underrated. I mean, you know, the, the Michael Orr performance, Nick Saban coming in and Nick like just one of the better uh-huh. sports movie cameos. Lou Holtz is in it. <laughs> Lou, you know, Lou Holtz too, of course. Lou Holtz is in it, man. Uh, I'll never know, forget man. that one little scene he has in there. I mean, like Sandra Bullock flirts with Nick Saban. I mean, like how many other movies can you say have that? That's fair. Um, and another, and another movie um, that you know is I, I find you know to be you know very solid is uh, Invincible. Okay, um, yeah, of Mark Wahlberg. I mean, I don't know if it's as good as The Gang Gets Invincible, 
I'm always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> no way. But no way. No, there's that's very hard to top that. Um, but you know, again, Invincible. You know, it's again another true. A lot of these football movies, a lot of true stories. You know, solid performance by Mark Wahlberg. Does it does it border on cliche every now and then? Yes, of course. A lot of these movies do. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a very solid performance. You know. From a football, especially from a football perspective, a lot of the football action in the movie is really well done. And that really gives me some uh, bonus yeah. points for it. Because at times, yeah, there's the, you know, you, a lot of these sports movies feel the need to shoehorn in like these romantic relationships. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You have Elizabeth Banks playing the Giants fan and a crowd full of Eagles fans. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of great scenes from this film like you know when he first starts trying out for the team or even the first scene in the movie where the the philly fans are just booing their team relentlessly is like hysterical it's very spot um, on too it's very spot on yeah and a lot again a lot of the football action is the same mark Wahlberg, you know looks very very good at what he does there's a there's the famous kind of blooper outtake where someone uh was when mark Wahlberg first returns like a, a kick return they had a kid from like delaware college playing and he wasn't supposed to tackle him but he just ends up like depleting mark Wahlberg and gets kicked off of set but they kept the shot in the movie it's funny moments like that that sort of add to it so yeah these are both you know very solid you know pretty well well made football movies that i feel confident in to round out the draft now i'm gonna end you on with uh one of the best underdog stories of all time. Now, this one, I didn't know if I was going to include it. Uh, I didn't know if you were going to take it. I figured you wouldn't. You went the real route. Uh, this one is a childhood favorite. Um, holds very sentimental value to me. Uh, none other. The Little Giants, Matt. The Little Giants is the best underdog story in football to date. Just think about it. You got Ed O'Neill, former football player coaching the Dallas Cowboys and you just got his little brother Danny O'Shea Rick Moranis coaching the little Giants they got a girl on their team they have no equipment they're putting cups on their faces and uh in steps John Madden with the annexation of Puerto Rico that ends up winning the game for them at the end and uh I mean just legendary uh one of my favorites as a Giant fan um very truthful to real life because the Giants beat the Cowboys. Uh, wouldn't have been as good if it showed the Giants beat the Eagles. <laughs> uh, unrealistic ending. Unrealistic yeah, ending. very realistic ending. Uh, but yeah, the Little Giants is just uh, wholesome, good fun for the whole family. And I remember that was a movie I watched. You remember the kid uh, Spike? There was Spike in it. I feel like that's very yeah. much real life. You got a kid <laughs> who's just way too old to be playing football, uh, all revved up, and he ends up getting beat by a girl at the end there. So uh, yeah. Yeah, the little giants, man. The little giants, uh, so good. Let's uh, let's wrap this up with some honorable mentions. Uh, do you have any for me? Do you got any good sure. ones? Um, I, well, uh, I'll start off with, uh, and uh, obviously there are two versions of this, so I'll kind of combine them, and that's the uh, the longest yard. Yeah, that's um, you know, the longest yard. You know, both versions are very solid. Both, you know, Burt Reynolds. So I mean, Burt Reynolds in a football movie, you know, speaks for itself. Yep. Um, you know, just, you know, great cast, you know, you talked about like the any given Sunday cast, like talk about the longest yard, especially the remake, just like that stacked cast, you know, it's Adam Sandler stars in it, but doesn't, it was, doesn't feel like an Adam Sandler movie. Like nope. he's just a part of this great ensemble crew, Nelly, you know, a lot of great foot, Nelly, you know, great. Michael Irving, great Kali, <laughs> great Kali. 
I broke Goldberg. His, yeah, I broke Goldberg. His Gold. Oh God, Boston. I mean that that one's really good. It got left off the list. Uh, yeah, I'm disappointed about it. But again, I I get what you're saying. There's two of them, and you know what? Uh, you really could have went either way with it uh, if they mm-hmm. did get mentioned. Okay, yeah, so that was that was a that was a close one for sure. Um, I'm gonna stick that, to I mean, uh, prison movies yeah. and throw in the Gridiron Gang. Uh, Gridiron Gang, okay. Grid, uh, the the only scene that really sticks in my head from Gridiron Gang is when they decide to play, um, like when uh, the Rock comes out in full equipment and they just run full speed at each other. Uh, it's not even House. That would be like the old game. It's not House, but they just essentially the Rock says, "If you run through me, you can leave or like you can start or something." And he like runs at the Rock like six times and then just continues to fall and then finally knocks him over. So yeah. shout out the Rock. Uh, I guess we could throw in the game plan while we're here oh and talking God. about the Rock. Uh, let's <laughs> not. Uh, there's another movie. It's one I haven't watched in a while, but one that like I remember recently in my office we were talking about. Not only favorite football movies, but favorite. Sports movies, a lot of people brought up The Replacements. The Replacements is good. Yeah, that's on my list. Not thought of in a while. And so maybe it's one I need to revisit. But like that, Reeves, if, if that can connect with. Yeah, of course. I mean, Keanu Reeves, of course. Um, the best. He's scene. also in one of my least favorite sports movies, which is, is Hardball. If, oh, so if we, if we ever go into a baseball discussion, don't get me started on Hardball. Yeah, Hardball. Um, is a, we'll stick to football. I was going to say. We'll stick to football. The, the Replacements, the scene where the kicker's smoking a cigarette and. Uh, <laughs> is praying that uh, someone blocks a field goal because he has the, uh, the gambling sharks in the crowd uh, who told him if he doesn't miss the, f- the field goal for the win, he's probably going to die. So uh, that's how the movie ends. He's smoking a cigarette and uh, really hoping that someone else does something to uh, jeopardize the game. And they do plot twist guys. And uh, yeah, really good. I mean, it kind of fits in the ragtag category, like what, how we look at for baseball movies, like a major league. Mm-hmm. We're just exactly. a bunch. It's just a bunch of great characters. I mean, obviously, you have to throw in Gene Hackman along with Keanu Reeves Gene and like that that chemistry uh, in terms of that film. So yeah, that's another one where like you know it's it's it was definitely close you know to getting on the list, but you know there were just so so many tough choices to make. In this I also missed Varsity Blues, which it Varsity was Blues, a- right? Varsity Blues, and I didn't want to put Radio in, especially because I already had a Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, and Radio yeah. didn't necessarily. I, I, that's tough. It's borderline. That's that's one that like my friends bring up like that. You know this the scene in radio and like, oh, know, like yeah. how emotional they get yeah, during yeah, it. So, yeah. but a movie is more than just its one scene. And obviously, Varsity Blues. You don't know my life. Like I mean, exactly. it's classic. So yeah. it's it, again very tough choices to make. Uh, so this is our top five. I'm gonna tweet this out on our account uh, at NY Football Pod. Uh, if you vote, uh, vote the right way. Let the people know that. I have the better list, although Matt's <laughs> list is very significantly good. Uh, I mean, remember the Titans is a one-one for ages, and Brian's. Like, I mean, just looking at your list makes me want to tear up. Anyways, uh, we're gonna tweet this out. You guys could vote on it uh, if you'd like. Uh, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It was a really good talk. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. That interview with Matt McNamara was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? All right, I'm going to wrap this show up. But first, I'm going to get you guys caught up with some recruitment stuff on the Rutgers-Scarlet Knight side of the football. Uh, Rutgers has officially signed the number 37 recruit in New Jersey, TJ Moore. He is an athlete from New Brunswick. Moore played a lot of receiver. It seems that Rutgers is recruiting him as a weak side defensive end. Stands at 6'6", 220 pounds. Uh, 
They have him listed as an athlete, so his role is uncertain with the team, although he got recruited for the defensive side of the ball. Um, a lot to look forward to there. Um, as I mentioned before on this show, that Rutgers really needs to knock down those New Jersey recruits, especially in the top 40 and 50, and they did just that by signing TJ Moore. So congratulations, welcome to the Scarlet Knights, Moore, and uh, shout out to Coach Ciano for hitting the trail and really getting some guys to commit and sign. Also, shout out to Rutgers basketball, who improved to 17-0 and at home. They took down number 22, Illinois, 72-57, to and are now 8-8 eight and eight and sit in third place of the Big Ten. They have the most conference wins uh, as a program since 1998-1999. Uh, big stuff coming from the Scarlet Knights campus as of this weekend. There is no update in terms of army football news but the scarlet knights are keeping us all entertained with their action on the recruit on the recruitment trail as well as the basketball court so shout out to the scarlet knights and to the black knights as well on that note i'm gonna wrap this up guys thanks for listening in just be sure to follow us at ny football pod as well as myself at tino rodriguez with an underscore thank you matt for joining the show hope you guys enjoyed that interview Also, be sure to subscribe, like, comment the Believe in New York Football podcast on both Apple Music, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. You could also find us at Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, Thanks for tuning in, guys. Always greatly appreciated. See you soon. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube